You found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and our passion about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. If there's one thing I've learned from being a pastor for the past 12 years, is that everyone wants the same passage. You can imagine in my work, I get to deal with people in all kinds of situations. He comes into my office and he's struggling with pornography. He just doesn't seem to have the self-control to say no to his next click. And he wants out. He wants more self-control. And then that couple walks in whose relationship is not going so well. And they argue about how they feel. They point fingers and accuse over sins that have been committed. What they really want in their marriage and in their home is more love. And then there's the teenage girl who feels so anxious. She doesn't have any peace. She worries about the worst what-if questions. She really would love to have a peace that goes beyond understanding, but she doesn't know where to find it. And then the guy comes in who just feels stuck in his spiritual life. There's no happiness, no joy, no passion, no excitement. He used to have it, now he doesn't, and he's not sure how to get it back. And it dawns on me as I listen to all these different kinds of stories that everyone wants the same passage. That's why as a pastor, I turn into an amateur artist. I say to them as I draw on my notebook the word love or joy or peace or self-control. And I draw a little circle around it and a little stem on top and I turn it into a piece of fruit. Then I draw a bushy, bushy tree around all the fruit and a nice trunk and I say to them, I think what you want is the fruit of the Spirit. Then I open my Bible to this well-worn page that I've turned to in countless counseling situations and I read these words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I bet that's what you want too. I'm not sure what you're going through right now in your life or how you want to grow spiritually, but I have a feeling that more love more peace, more joy, more self-control is probably on your list. So how do you get that stuff? What do I say as a pastor to people in those situations and in those moments? And what would I say today to you? Well, this is going to be earth-shattering, so write this down. I would say that fruit comes from roots. Okay, maybe that's not that... That's shocking, right? Fruit doesn't like pop on a tree because you pray. It doesn't just appear out of nowhere one day. Fruit, good fruit, healthy, satisfying fruit grows because a tree has good roots. And notice what I said, good roots. I read an article by a forestry professor a number of years ago named Thomas Perry. 
And his research had proven that when fruit and leaves grow on a tree, it's because those sections of the tree are connected to certain roots beneath the soil. Chop off one of the roots and some of the fruit won't grow. And I realize that's so true for you and me when it comes to spiritual things. That when we have all of our roots, all of what some people call the spiritual disciplines of church and community and prayer and Bible study, those roots produce incredible fruit. But chop off one or two of those roots, you know, just pray a little bit here or stop in a church once or twice a month and you might not get as much fruit as you'd like. And that's why this week I want to talk to you about the fruit of the Spirit. If you're like the people at my church, it's exactly what you want. And this week, I'm going to show you exactly how to get it. And here's my promise to you. I promise I won't beat you over the head with all these things that you need to do. Instead, I want to open your eyes to the potential. That if you had more roots, you might produce more fruit. It might not happen overnight. That's not how fruit works. But if we could get you connected to a good church and get you into good habits at home, If we could connect you to people who could encourage you, pray for you, forgive you, and point you back to Jesus, in in time, those roots would produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Exactly what you want. So brother, sister, if you want more fruits, then get good roots. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we wish You said that love and joy and peace was a gift. Then we just pray and one of your angels would deliver it to our doorstep. But you didn't say that. You said this is a process. It's spiritually organic and we need patience to watch it work. And so that's what I pray to you this week, that we wouldn't be deceived into thinking that a couple minutes watching a screen would change our characters. Instead, we would listen to the words from these devotions And then you would help us to put them into practice. Father, help us to have great roots in Jesus this week that we can produce the fruit of the Spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're interested in becoming a more loving person, you should join a church. I think a Christian church is one of the best places to produce the fruit of love. And here's why I say that. A Christian congregation is one of the few places in your life where you are expected to love people that you don't pick. Like in a relationship, we would expect you to love your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband and wife, but you probably pick them. And at work, maybe you don't get to pick your coworkers, but your boss maybe doesn't expect you to love them. Just do your job, get the job done, and that's enough. But a church is different. Jesus wants the Christian church to be a place of love where it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter your age, your demographic, doesn't matter your gender, your personality. You should walk into that place and we know it's a Christian church by the way that people love each other. But here's the kicker. You don't get to handpick the people of your church. (laughs) Discipleship and following Jesus is not like the NFL draft. So if you join a church like I've joined a church, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that you didn't pick. (laughs) And that means there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are kind of tough to love. 
like that old guy is going to show up to your church. Like old enough to be Moses' older brother. And he's going to have opinions and they might be very strong opinions and he might express them very frequently and it's going to be a challenge to love. And then that woman is going to show up who has been serving on the committee forever. Uh, picture Angela from The Office. <laughs> she has very strong, very strict opinions. She's not into new ideas. And Jesus wants you to love her. And then there's going to be the teenager there who looks like he wishes he'd be back at home with a video game controller in his hand. And he's dragging his feet and his mood's not the best. And God wants you to love him. And there's the woman who's battling an addiction and you can see it on her face. And there's the guy who just got out of jail whose life is a mess. There's all these people. Some are so much like you and some are the exact opposite of you. And yet there's this call, this expectation to love. And that's why I think the Christian church is one of the greatest places to produce the fruit of love. But there's one more reason I think that. And it's in this great passage from Galatians chapter 5. It says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then in verse 24, it reminds Christians of this, that you belong to Christ Jesus. I think a church is the most amazing place to grow in love because you're not just expected to give it, you can expect to receive it. The passage says you belong to Jesus. When you were as stubborn as that old guy or as critical as that older woman, when your attitude wasn't perfect like that teenager or you fell into addiction like that young woman who showed up, Jesus still loved. The Bible says while you and I were still sinners, he loves us. Psalm 136 says that God's love endures forever. God's love never fails. He never forsakes us. It never quits. And when you come to church, and you sing these songs and you hear these readings and the pastor preaches this message, you find out about this crazy love that you get even when you don't deserve it. And then, as soon as the song is done, after the blessing is over, you walk into the church lobby and you look around and you see people. People who might deserve your love and maybe they don't. But you just heard about a kind of love that's given even when it's not deserved. So if you want to become a better person, a more loving person, a more Christ-like person, the church is the perfect place to be. The church specializes in grace, the grace you get, and the grace you get to give. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we all want to be loving. And we don't want to pick and choose the people that we loved. We want to have the kind of patience and kindness and gentleness to love all kinds of people. And that's why we need your help. We want to plant our roots, our heart, in your unconditional love for us and trust that that's going to change us. And it's going to open our eyes to see that love is just given, even if it's not deserved. So send your Holy Spirit to work powerfully in our hearts. Help that root produce incredible fruit. We pray it all in your saving name. Amen. Too many Christians that I know are liars. I don't think they intend to, but I hear people in my church lying to each other all the time. Here's what happens. 
Someone in our church family goes through something difficult. They went to the doctor and they noticed something is wrong with their health. Or their family or their marriage isn't in a good spot. It's a rocky situation. Or there's some uncertain news that's kind of hanging over their heads. And in those kind of scary, concerning moments, Christians lie. They say to each other, oh, that lump, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's not cancer. Or, I guarantee you, your family's going to make it. You guys love each other so much. Or, we're going to get through this. God has someone better lined up for you in the future. And I understand why we say that kind of stuff. It, it feels like it's comforting and hopeful, but can I burst your Christian bubble? You don't know that. God hasn't guaranteed Christians cancer-free bodies. He doesn't say that every marriage that starts in a church can't end in a court. He doesn't promise us health or wealth or children or safe travels. In, in this broken world, stuff happens. And it might sound nice, but saying it's going to be fine, I know it, actually doesn't give the human heart much peace because we know it always isn't. This week we're talking about this passage from Galatians 5. And it says, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. What the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you is a sense of peace. Just take a deep breath and you know it's going to be okay. And you don't have to be afraid and you don't have to be worried. You can have peace. But the source of peace isn't lying to each other. It's not promising that everything's going to be okay. No, the Apostle Paul, he knew the real source of peace, God. Paul believed that God was so big and so glorious and so committed to walking by his side through all the ups and downs that he could have a sense of peace. You could say that the Apostle Paul planted his roots in the powerful presence of God and that produced in him this fruit and this feeling of peace. And that's why I want to share with you a tip that I often remind myself of when I'm in a worrisome situation. When I walk into a meeting where there could be bad news, could be financial bad news, could be bad news with our church, maybe I walk into the doctor's office, uh, if I have a, a pad of paper as I'm taking notes, I write on the top of that paper, God. And whenever someone makes a comment or I have one of those thoughts that makes me worried and afraid, Whenever I'm this close to losing my peace, I look at that little name, or I should say that big name on a little piece of paper, God. I belong to God. God is going to be with me. The Lord is my shepherd. So even if I walk through the valley, I'm not going to be afraid because he's with me. Yesterday, uh, there was a woman from my old church who emailed me. She had heard me give that advice in the past to remind yourself through the toughest moments that God is here. And she said she was at her doctor and they found a lump. And in that moment, for some reason that I think was the Holy Spirit, all she could think of was God. God is here, she told herself. Whatever was going to happen with cancer or her treatment, whatever that lump turned out to be, God is here. And she said she felt this overwhelming, beautiful sense of peace. It, it flooded her heart as the Spirit was at work. 
You know, she went and she shared the news with family members and friends and they freaked. They were worried and afraid. They, they tried to wish the best case scenario and she was like the only one in the room who felt a sense of peace. Because she didn't put her hope or her happiness in uncertain things. She put it in the rock-solid promise and presence of God. So, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what uncertain things are in your financial or relational or physical life. But I do know this. You don't have to lie to yourself. You don't have to cross your fingers and wish for the best. Like that woman, like I do in those meetings, you can just write that one big word on your heart. God. Because of Jesus, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And that means you're going to be okay. Because the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Let's pray. Father, it is so instinctual for us to worry, to think the worst, to assume that we just couldn't be okay if we lost something temporary. And that's why we ask your Holy Spirit now, as, as we put these roots in your promises and your love and your presence, let that change us like it did for that dear woman. Give us a peace that goes beyond understanding, that when family and friends are freaking out about the what-ifs, we would just look at you and know that you're always going to be there. May your presence give us peace today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever tried to be mindful? It seems like the idea of mindfulness is all the rage these days. You see it on websites, on ways to improve your mental health. There are special apps that help you to be mindful. It seems to me that in our smartphone, tablet, always looking at a screen kind of world, we can forget what's all around us. And so mindfulness encourages us to fill our mind with all the things that are right here that we can see and taste and touch. Don't, don't miss them in the blur of everything popping up on your screen. I was actually reminded how important that is this morning. I was dropping my kids off at school and I saw this woman that I knew and I was smiling at her, hoping that my smile would brighten her day a little bit. And I stared at her as she was walking with her phone from a good five seconds down the hallway and I kept staring and I kept smiling and I kept staring and I kept smiling and she walked right past me. <laughs> Five seconds. It was impressive what a straight line she could walk without ever looking up. And I realized they're right. We can miss so much. We need to be more mindful. And actually, God says the same thing. You can walk through life and miss the presence of God. Not just because you're staring at a phone, but because you're so focused on this physical, earthly life that you can forget that God's glory is all around you. It's waiting to bring you incredible joy. This week we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit and Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. There's incredible emotion. There's spiritual happiness that can come from the Holy Spirit. And I want to share a passage with you that is one of the best ways that I know to be mindful of God. It comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 6 where the angels in this vision Isaiah has say this, the whole earth is full of God's glory. 
Not just heaven, but the whole earth. Not just sacred worship spaces where people gather to talk about Jesus. No, the angel said, the whole earth, every square inch, in fact, the place where you are right now, is full of God's glory. In other words, if you have the eyes to see it, there are glimpses of God all around you. It's a concept or a philosophy that I call this. It's like a little trampoline that God gives you that if you jump on it, it can send your heart soaring up into the joyful place called the presence of God. Let me give you a few examples. So you have an amazing breakfast. The scrambled eggs are just like you like them and the toast is buttery and crisp. It makes you feel so good. So if eggs and toast can make you feel that good, what about God? (laughs) Your breakfast can be that trampoline to help your mind be full of the glory of God. Or you wake up in the morning and you find out that your friends have been texting while you were sleeping and they know you well enough and the old jokes come out and you're smiling before you get out of bed. Well, if human beings can make you laugh, can bring a smile to your face, what about God? And those texts can be a trampoline to help you think of eternal, beautiful, divine, and spiritual things. You walk out the door and the air is crisp or the leaves are beautiful or the sun is shining. You take a deep breath and it just makes you feel good. So if nature can do that, what about the God who made nature? Who's more beautiful, more wonderful, more creative? The the things of nature can be that trampoline that sends your heart. You you see, in life, you're going to walk in this direction. And you can either walk this path that robs you of joy or you can bounce. Doing, doing, (laughs) doing, trampoline to trampoline, moment by moment, all the sights and sounds and smells and tastes of this world can make you think of God. So if you want more joy in your life, you don't need a new life. You just have to look around you. Because every hallway you walk down, God is walking past and he's smiling. He wants to reveal his glory. That's what I learned from the angels. The whole earth is full of it. So let's pray. Uh, Dear God, thank you for creating an amazing universe. When I think of all the colors, when I think of all the places that we can travel to, when I think of all the entertainment and our brains that can process a good joke, when I think about my kids, I think about good food and good drink and the love of my wife. God, your glory is everywhere. And so I'm asking you today for the eyes to see it. I pray that for everyone who is listening here today, that you would open our eyes just to look around and take that trampoline into your presence. We all want to be happy, God. We all desire the fruit of joy. So help us to plant our roots in these amazing moments that you give to us. We pray this for your glory and for our joy and our good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This week we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit about how we get more love, more joy, more peace. And today I want to talk to you about one of the most important fruit of them all, self-control. Think of it. Self-control is the difference between a path of happiness and one of destruction. The difference between sobriety and addiction is self-control. The difference between a person who is up to their neck and worse in financial debt 
and someone who said no to impulse purchases and has a, a nest egg of savings is self-control. Their relationship with plenty of selflessness and service compared to one that's been corrupted and gotten toxic by selfishness and sin, that's self-control. When we have the spiritual power to say no to something bad for us so we can say yes to God, that's self-control. And if you're anything like me, you would love to have more self-control. If you could feel that temptation and still say no to it, life would be so much different as you obeyed God. So the question today is, how do you get self-control? If the Bible passage says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, what, what root will produce that fruit in your life? Well, today I brought the answer with me. I brought the Ten Commandments. <laughs> These aren't the original ones, by the way. It's actually wood that uh, my friend Tom put some original Hebrew on. But this is the Hebrew of the Ten Commandments. And if you think about it, the Ten Commandments require massive amounts of self-control. If you're not going to worship any other god, if you're not going to lie or gossip about your neighbor, if you're not going to commit adultery, if you're going to honor your father and mother despite their imperfections, it's going to take a ton of self-control. So how do you get it? Here's my answer. In the original Hebrew, right here is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Which kind of makes you wonder, well, what's this? If this is where the Ten Commandments start, what did God say before that? Well, what he said before that was the key to self-control. I would say to you that this root produces this fruit. Let me translate for you. It says, And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God knew that before he could give people these rules, he had to tell them about this relationship. I'm your God. Before he would tell them to do this and don't do that, he reminded them of the things already done on their behalf. I rescued you. I saved you. In other words, God knew that if his people would have the self-control to say no to sin, they would have to first know how much they were loved. Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul said. In the book of Titus chapter 2, he said this, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. What teaches you or motivates you or enables you to say no to worldly passions and be self-controlled? It. The grace of God. You see, when you put your roots into love that you don't deserve, when you've messed up in a thousand ways and didn't have self-control, but there's Jesus and he's waiting with love. His cross offers forgiveness for the moments we wish we could take back. When you think that you've blown it with God and he's run out of patience with you and yet there's still grace on top of grace and mercy that's new every morning and faithfulness that doesn't fail you, man, that has a way of changing your heart. 
It makes you love God so much and love sin so much less. So if you're struggling with self-control, the best advice and encouragement I can give you is to stay rooted in grace. Go to a church that reminds you of grace every week. Open your Bible and read about God's grace on every page. In your prayers, don't just ask God for help for the things you need to do, but thank him for the grace that's already been given and the things that have already been done. Because that teaches you to say no and to live a self-controlled life. So, brothers and sisters, if you want fruit, get root. If you want self-control, remember that through Jesus, you already are saved. Let's pray. Dear God, self-control would help us so much today. And we really need your help. Temptation is tempting and the devil knows what works best with us. So we pray for your spirit to open our eyes to see how incredible your unfailing love is. Let our hearts, even after all these years, be shocked, to be surprised, and to be emotionally moved by your grace. Because we know, God, that that can teach us to live a different life. We pray this for your glory and for our good. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.